Welcome to Highlawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We're so glad you've decided to join us, and now we invite you to grab your Bible, if you're able, as we pray that you will be blessed by the preaching of the truth of God's Word today. Good evening. We gather together this night to remember the final week of Jesus's earthly ministry, the, re the week where in fulfillment of centuries of prophecy, our Savior prepared his disciples for the final time, offered them their last pieces of instruction and then gave himself as a willing sacrifice for the redemption of all. As we gather together, let's bow our hearts to, in, for a word of prayer. Our all-wise and loving Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace this evening, beseeching the Holy Spirit to open both our hearts and our minds to the meaning of your word to the scope of the love that you offered for us, to understand more fully our place in your kingdom, and to dedicate ourselves wholly into your hands as we commit this time in ourselves to you without reservation. May we dine extravagantly from the table of your word today to hear your voice through the power of your spirit to better understand your heart for you who first loved us. In the most holy name of Christ we pray, amen. As we continue to journey together with the words of the apostle John, it still strikes me as being interesting how he he seems to take for granted that the people who are, who are reading his own words have already read the accounts of the other apostles. This is not any other Judas that's a Greekified way of saying Judah, but this is the one who is the betrayer. This is not any Mary, but this is the Mary who had anointed Jesus' feet with perfume. He's giving his own version of the accounts. He's, he's adding in his eyewitness testimony to the structure and the foundation of the others. So as we depart from that structure, let's find what treasures John has in store for us as we consider this day of shadows. For it was in Luke's testimony of Jesus' walk that when he entered the Garden of Gethsemane and was took prisoner, he announced to everyone there that this was the night where shadows reign. We now skip to his trial before the Roman consulate in Jerusalem, before Pontius Pilate. Now remember in those days, Pilate was a servant of 
the reigning Caesar of the time, and part of his job was to ensure the peace of this outlying area of the empire. For without the peace, they would lose the trade with the Parthian Empire. They would lose their trade from Egypt. Jerusalem was a prime piece of real estate in the Roman Empire. Even though they didn't think too much of the people that happened to live there, they appreciated the real estate. And Pontius Pilate was sent there to keep the peace, to keep order, to keep the Jews placated. For to send them into revolt meant that he had forfeited his political career. So the Pharisees of the time know this. They know that Pilate has a lot resting on his shoulders, in fact, his very life. And that's a card that they're willing to play, even at the cost of claiming that we have no king but Caesar, a truth that they knew was blasphemous as soon as it escaped their lips, but nevertheless, that they were willing to say because it meant putting someone that believed that they were a god themselves into their own camp. As we read together, John 19, starting with verse 5. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. Behold the man. The purple, which was from a curtain, slung around him in mockery of the Roman centurions that had scourged him. The crown of thorns in mockery of a crown of laurel leaves that should have been around his, his head. The kingly crown, the Stephanus, was instead a symbol taken all the way back from Genesis chapter 3. When the curse had entered into the land itself, the land started to produce thorns and thistles. This was an emblem in the Jewish mind of the curse, of the fall, of sin. So he was bearing our sin, even in this strange prophetic image. Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! Now what we have been taught is that up to this point in time, Pilate doesn't want to have anything to do with this matter. He knows that Jesus isn't a military leader. He knows that Jesus has no political aspirations. And yet at the same time, he also knows that his wife could not sleep the night before because she was being tormented with dreams. In fact, during breakfast, the next day, she tells him, whatever you do, have nothing to do with this innocent man. Pilate himself is a Roman. He is used to this idea of multiple gods, of gods having children, and of those very gods and their offspring even though he is certainly from the pagan mindset, but he still has the philosophy within him, that you don't mess with a demigod. That something is going on here, something more than meets the eye. So he tries to get his way out of this. At first, he tries to pawn Jesus off on the governor of the area of the Galilee where he's from. So he sends him to Herod, who abuses him, mocks him, and sends him back. 
He sentences him to be scourged as a nuisance, hoping that the crowd would have a bit of empathy for him. He suffered enough. He is wearing a curtain. He has a crown of thorns upon his head. His scepter is a reed, is a piece of river cane. Is this really your king? Is this who you really think is going to build a revolt? He's trying to find a way to free him. Finally, he brings up a criminal, a career insurrectionist named Barabbas, a murderer. Does the crowd choose the person who is of the world or the person who is of God? Just as we heard this past Sunday, when we considered... The words, you did not recognize the time of your visitation. When the prophet Daniel had given them to the day, a calendar of events leading to the Messiah, the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the king, revealing himself before the nation, and they did not receive him. The question is now, there is a choice before the Jewish people, a once and for all choice. Do you want the sin nature or do you want the divine? Do you want the man who represents the old, the tarnished, the murderer, the thief, the liar? Or do you want the innocent? Do you want the man of God? As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and you crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. They're applying the pressure that he know, that they know will finally get him to snap. You do what we say, what we demand, or you will have an insurrection on your case. And then what's going to happen when you get recalled to Rome? They're figuring out what buttons to push because everyone has their price. That's the idea. We have a law. We have our own customs. He must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. So we've got the prophecy from his wife the prophetic dream, if you will. We have this accusation to a pagan that this person is actually divine, that he's the son of a god. He doesn't fully comprehend what's going on, but he knows that's a reason for his, his curiosity to get stirred up. And he knows that the people who should be falling in line with him because he's placated them, he's scourged him, he's dressed them up, he's mocked them along with them, but they're still not satisfied. So he was afraid. And now he was even more afraid because he was afraid that he was dealing with a God. And he went back inside the palace. He stepped away from the crowd, in other words. Where do you come from? I know you're a Galilean by birth, but let me ask you something. Where do you really come from? What is your real parentage? Who are you? Yes, Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? 
In the Greek, I believe it's more, liter it's, it's more literally translated, to me do you not speak? Don't you realize that I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, this is the button they know will work. This is the final piece of pressure that they know will turn the tide in their favor. If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. So just as in that day, just as was on Palm Sunday, the same question in John's mind, the apostle's mind, keeps being raised again and again and again and again, is do we claim the world or do we claim God? When the choice is laid down, the evidence that demands a verdict and we are called to give an account, who do you say that I am? What is our response? Do we choose Caesar? Or do we choose the king of kings? You are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat. So we see his price has been reached. At the place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha was the day of preparation out of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the priest answered. The priest didn't believe this. The priest wanted a Messiah. They wanted Yeshua ben David, they wanted the son of David, they wanted the conquering king, they wanted the military might, they wanted the riches, they wanted the power, they wanted the nation. They didn't want anything to do with God. But if we don't have that Messiah, if we don't have the Messiah that we have convinced ourselves in our own mind, rather than the Messiah that we want from God, we'll take Caesar. Did you hear that? If we cannot have the Messiah that we want, we will choose Caesar over the real Messiah. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus and they led him to a place where in the Old Testament we hear the words that when they were done with him, he would not be recognizable as a man.
He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Yet by his stripes, what? We are healed. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Golgotha, if you're from West Virginia or Kentucky. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened it to the cross, which read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, this word order should means something. Because when we, when we don't understand that there's something at play, the Pharisees run to our rescue. When there's something going on that troubles them that maybe we don't get, they start arguing about something and we need to pay attention to that. Many of the Jews read this sign, verse 20, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. That's the language of the region, the language of the law, and the language international, the lingua franca, the trade language that everyone, even the visitors of the city at the time, could understand. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that the man claimed to be king of the Jews. Now, we don't understand it in modern times, but that should, bear, that should grab our attention. Pilate's response should as well. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. You who troubled me, you who threatened me, you who tried and succeeded in condemning an innocent man, you who brought this horror upon my house and my wife, what I have written, I have written. Now, what they're saying is if you put the, the, the Hebrew script and Aramaic next to each other, that wording, the initials, Yod, He, Ved, He, come out. The unpronounceable name of God. So what Pilate was effectively doing, in an acrostic way, is identifying Jesus as precisely what they were afraid of. What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. His, this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let us not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled. Psalm 22. They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. The pagans unwittingly fulfilled the words of Jesus' ancestor David. Verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, Behold thy son. And to his disciple, son, behold thy mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home.
as the dutiful son he ever was, living the life in perfect subjugation to the law of God. He provides for all of them, including his mom. And it is said by tradition that even into his death at Ephesus, that Mary resided with him. Verse 28, later knowing that everything had now been finished in the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said to Talisai, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The word excruciating in our language is based on the Latin word crux, cross, because that's exactly what it is designed to do. We stand, if you have claimed Jesus as Savior and as Lord, we stand as the beneficiaries of a sacrifice without equal. We stand being blessed as the fruits produced of a curse. Jesus of Nazareth, the same person who walked this earth, who taught, who performed countless miracles in an act unparalleled, gave us the definition of the English word which would come to be passion. Now that doesn't mean the romantic inclination that we think of today. That means a love that can endure pain. A love that endures suffering. For on his hands that would be nailed to that tree were written your name. In Luke's gospel, he records in the Garden of Gethsemane the words, let this cup pass by me. I want you to think about that for a second. Of all of the ways that he could have given his life, we hear about his scourging, we hear about the whip, we hear about the cat of nine tails. Normally, that instrument itself is enough to cause someone who is condemned to crucifixion to die before they ever have the opportunity to pick up the, the, uh, the, the railroad-tied-sized cross that he has to carry down the streets of Jerusalem to Golgotha, to Calvary, where he's ultimately crucified. The very top on the ridge of Mount Moriah where centuries beforehand another father once stood and had named that place in his own day, Jehovah Jireh, for upon the mountain God will what? Provide. And here tonight as we come, we come to remember and to memorialize a sacrifice that we could not have made on our own. We come to try to understand and open our hearts to a love so overwhelming that we cannot fathom it. 
to be mocked and ridiculed for the prince of this universe, to be scorned, to have a crown of thorns beaten upon his head, to have his hands and feet nailed to a tree, which is a high curse in his own culture, to be spat upon, to have the very hairs of his beard removed, plucked from his head. And in the anguish of an evening of not being able to breathe, we get one final image of his love. For not contained in this gospel, there nevertheless is the story of the one who actually understood the meaning of Palm Sunday. To his right and to his left were criminals that the Bible identifies as thieves. The one upon his left mocked him with the crowd, sided with the world. If you are the son of God, send down the angels and save yourself and save us too. The one on his right, however, defended him. He chose the Messiah over the world. He didn't choose the Messiah that the world wanted the Messiah carved in their image. He chose the one given by God. And he rebuked the other criminal and he said, Have you no fear in God? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In the moment of despair, in the moment of agony, in the moment where he was having to struggle just to take in air, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And out of the remaining strength he had to him, our Savior in pity looked upon the thief no better than any of us, thief that could have stood condemned before not only the world, but before a holy God, just as we should be. And out of pity and love, out of passion and grace, our Savior fixed his eyes upon that thief. And through his statement of faith, his profession of faith, he hears the words, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Remember what was given for you. Not just on this day, but every day. As we walk our day-to-day -day lives, remember what was given for you. For the sake of your soul, so that you might have a relationship with God. Always remember, without fail, what was given for you. And when the time comes, as Peter writes in, his second, in, the, in the second book to bear his name, just as you, my brothers and sisters, have looked away from the world to find the Messiah, instead of carving him in your own image, 
you have undertaken the work to be transformed into his. Remind them, always be ready to give an account of the hope that is within you, but do so with all gentleness and respect. That is the challenge of this day, of this week. In this point in time, Satan thinks that he is the victor. The Messiah, who he knows is the Son of God, has breathed his last. But right as he bows his head, our Savior says the word to Telestai. And I'll be willing to bet that that caught his attention. Why? Because to us, and in your Bible translations, it does in fact mean it is finished or is brought to completion. But also in this culture, it can be translated as paid in full. For when you were caught, when, as a criminal, when you had spent the amount of time that you were supposed to spend either in the mines or as a slave, when your term as a prisoner was done, you were handed a wooden placard as your protection against double jeopardy. On it, it would have the date of your, the date of your uh, incarceration, the charges against you, and it would have the word to Telestai. Your debt had been paid. Your sin had been forgiven. You were able to walk free, unburdened by the hindrances of the past. Just as Jesus from the cross of Calvary breathed his last, he said one final word that is a blessing for all who look to that cross of Calvary. Just as those who were dying in the desert looked up and saw the serpent on the bronze pole, we look to Jesus right now pierced hands and feet, and we hear his word, tetelestai, which means that everything that should kill us, everything that should weigh us down, all the guilt, all the shame, all the ravages of this life, all of the pain that comes from being a finite human being that is flawed to the core, we hear the word tetelestai, that it is paid in full, and that the victory has been won for you. Heavenly Father, as the service of the word comes to a close, we lift our voices in remembering that hymn of old. The pastor who did not even know that he had any worth to you Nevertheless, he said, and he sang, that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood and lose all their guilty stains. Just as he, who felt the weight of his guilt, also felt the relief of his forgiveness, May we too remember wholly what this day represents, not as a tragedy, but as an accomplishment, not as a time of shadows, but as a new day was dawning, 
a day when you would call from all nations of the world, from all languages, from all walks of life, a new singular people that you would call the church. A people that would be born not of, of genetics, but that would be born of the Spirit of God. A people who raise their voices in praise to you. Receive now the praise that you so richly deserve in all of our worship. In the most holy name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us at High Lawn Baptist Church. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. At High Lawn, we believe that when you love God, you share his word. When you love others, you spread the gospel. We would love for you to join us next time, and if possible, to join us in person, to contact or learn more about us, to donate to our ongoing ministry, or most importantly, to learn about the salvation offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Visit us at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Once again, thank you, and God bless you.